Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Our guest today is the COO of Smart City Locating, Nathan Lenahan. Nathan joined Smart City in January 2020. In his role as COO, Nathan drives vision and strategy at Smart City, cross-functionality, leading departments such as sales, marketing, and strategic partnerships for the company. Nathan garnered success in previous roles where he managed revenue portfolios of more than 200 million, built large teams, and optimized business operations to support rapid growth. Prior to joining Smart City, Nathan was a VP and general manager over the Texas and Mountain West territories for WeWork, where he grew the region from two to more than 50 locations. Before this, he served as a senior leader in the Texas Army National Guard and also launched a property management company that he later sold in 2017. Nathan holds a bachelor's in facility and property management from Brigham Young University and an MBA from the University of Texas at Austin. Outside of Smart City, Nathan stays connected to his roots in the military as a veteran mentor for the Veterati and advisory board member for Skills After Service. He enjoys spending time with his family and recently launched a business with his kids called Duty Not Reward. So Nathan, welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Ah, thanks for uh, having me. It feels embarrassing hearing your bio read. <laughs> no, this is this is actually kind of cool. I, I'm, I grabbed a couple of things off of there that I didn't even read on the first pass through that... Um, just grab my attention, but you're a bit of a hybrid between entrepreneur and COO, you know? Yes. Yeah. I've, I've been kind of all over the place. So love the passion, love startups and growth and just trying to see if you have the metal to, to make it work yourself or, uh, or, you know, easily shift and help someone else, you know, bring their vision to life. So I've, I've always had a passion around kids and entrepreneurship. I did a talk that's on the main Ted website about raising kids as entrepreneurs so tell me about this little business or the business that you've started with your kids. What is it? Yeah. So, um, I have, I've got four kiddos, uh, age 18 to, to 10, two boys, two girls. And, uh, we were in the middle of, of, uh, Christmas break and, you know, like I was just itching to do something different. I wanted to have some fun with them. I wanted to try something. And so, uh, I somehow uh, convinced all four of them to want to start a little company with me. And like, we, we all came up with the roles of what we wanted to do. Um, they needed just like a little bit of a, a nudge on kind of like the idea and somewhere to start. And so I was kind of like that glue that, that brought them together, but uh, duty, not reward is the, it's the motto from the, the battalion I served with in the army and deployed to Iraq in, um, you know, for, for two years. And I just love that sentiment, like duty, not reward, just doing the things that you have to with, with no thought of um, what you get in return. And so uh, we built like a little online clothing um, store, did custom t-shirts. We had some old logos from companies we'd done before that were like in the same vein. Uh, and the, the, the whole thing was mostly a test because they really wanted a timeline on this of like, how long do we have to do this with you, Dad? Yeah, yeah. And so the goal was, could we build a business and make it profitable in 30 days or less? Awesome. And uh, and they did, they, um, we, we did, I think we, I forget the numbers now, but I think like $2,500 or so in revenue the first month, um, they all got a few hundred dollars out of that each and, um, moved on after a few months, they decided like, Hey, this wasn't actually what they were super interested in. So we, you know, we, we kind of, um, sunsetted that, that, that endeavor, but 
I got to tell you, it was like one of the coolest things I've ever done as a father. Yeah. Um, really inspired me. Like my daughter, Kylie, she's 10. Um, she was in charge of like a lot of the social media. So she was like writing LinkedIn posts and sharing with people. And like, shoot, one of her posts got like 20,000 views. It's <laughs> amazing. Um, and people were really just excited about that. So uh, yeah, I mean, I loved it. My oldest daughter, she actually ended up starting her own business after and doing, um, she started like her own tutoring and babysitting business. And she's made a few thousand dollars doing that since. And her brother made flyers for her and delivered all the flyers to na- uh, like mailboxes in the neighborhood. So he gets a cut of every job that she gets. Awesome. Like, so like, I mean, great kind of ripples from, from, uh, you know, great time together. There was definitely some, some interesting learnings. The, the most grief I got about anything actually. It wasn't any of the hard work or anything like that, but I made them write copy down. And then I tried to have them read it aloud to, to get critiqued in front of the rest of us for like marketing and stuff. They would not do it. Like wow. no way, like too vulnerable or, um, and I, I think writing really comes from the heart. So I don't know, super interesting. That was like my biggest takeaway is like, they were, they were deathly afraid of sharing their own writing. I love that. But that's, it's really cool that you actually got them to do the experience. And I think the one big lesson that a lot of parents need to hear on this stuff when they're doing things with their kids is the businesses don't have to be a 10 year business that turn into Facebook for God's sakes, like a 30 day business is perfect because they do get a lot of lessons and learnings and experiences that they'll carry with them forever. Um, and, and yeah, I think that's amazing. I love the fact that you actually had a, had a defined goal that was attached to it as well with 30 days and profitability too. The, um, and the skill of, of actually presenting to a group and presenting to their peers is one that they're going to have to get good at with school and college and, and in, in work. So it's great that you're even, you know, getting them thinking about it and trying it now. Don't give up on that one. That's, that's a good one to keep pushing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I so, mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. So tell us about smart city, what's smart city, what's the basis of it. And, um, and then I want to go kind of into your timeline and your career with them. Cause I've got a couple interesting questions to start us with. Yeah, smart city. It's uh, it's one of those things I didn't really know existed until uh, until I started getting recruited. So, uh, if you think of any kind of great real estate like residential brokerage out there, um, Compass probably being my favorite. It's kind of tech enabled uh, brokerage, newer um, newer model. You know, they're out there to help you find a home, and they're licensed real estate agents and they're experts in their neighborhoods and their in their cities, right? Well, we do the exact same thing. We have licensed real estate agents, and they help people find apartments. And so, you could think about how valuable that is, when uh, especially if you're a professional moving to, let's say, Dallas or one of our our ten markets, and you don't know anything about it, and you don't know if that you know fifteen hundred dollar one bedroom apartment is a good deal and it gets you know it's, uh, part of town. Is it walkable? And so uh, you can get as detailed as you want. If you want that like one bedroom, exposed brick, gas range, uh, on ground floor, so you can have your golden golden doodle, uh, you know, dog or whatever, you know, we can find that to you or tell you like, hey, like it just doesn't exist, um, but here's the, the best other three options. And so uh, we've got about 423 agents on our, our, our team across 10 different markets and, uh, and we're growing, you know, about 100% year over year. Wow, interesting. And and what was your reason for joining them? I mean, were you were still at WeWork when um, they were recruiting you? Yeah. Okay. So two twofold. So um, I think you're going to see a trend here. Like I really like goals and kind of um, milestones in my career. And so I had really specific thoughts of what I wanted to do after WeWork. Um, I went into WeWork with very specific goals as well, and you know significantly exceeded those. 
And so the next thing I want to do is we work is based out of New York and I really want to do something local. So like, how do I help someone um, in Texas grow or scale um, and use my experience of launching new markets and, and helping them, you know, uh, where they might need it. And, uh, and I wanted to do that for, you know, ideally something in real estate. So like my background, I really, my sweet spots kind of like the intersection of real estate people and technology. And so, uh, so if it could be in that, that would be amazing. Um, and then, and then lastly, you know, just being part of, uh, like more of like a bigger seat at the table of guiding the company towards going. So, you know, uh, we work was unbelievable, but I was, you know, I had a smaller region and there's a lot of people there that you had to influence. Right. And so, mm-hmm. so those are my criteria. And then here's the pitch I got from the CEO when, when she came through and, um, and I was talking to other companies and she just said, Hey, like I have this cool company. It's growing really fast. There's all kinds of crap wrong with it. And I need someone to help me make it better. You know, and like, just imagine the humility of someone having like wow. significant success and coming with that, like that lack of ego. And, uh, and so I love this, like Harvard business review article. It's like the seven types of COO. Um, mm-hmm. if you, I'm sure you've read it before. And, uh, and so in this case, like I got a chance to help kind of bring a little more experience, a little more consistency for the CEO who has grown it from nothing. She's obsessed about the customer experience. She's just seen a lot of things, but you know, she's also made a lot of mistakes along the way that you know, could have been pre- prevented probably with a little more experience on her team. Um, did, did you come in as the change agent as they talk about in that article? Yeah, uh, well, it definitely ended up being more of one than I expected. Um, we, I had some, I certainly had some thoughts of where we were going. I thought I would just continue to like build on the culture, um, and ultimately that is what we did. But there was just some operational things, uh, you know, that we got wrong uh, as a company. You know, both before I joined and like when I got here as well. And some of that was like changing compensation in a way that just didn't make sense. Um, and like, you want to piss people off, just mess with their money. Great way. Yeah. To- everyone mad. Uh, so I think that first six to eight months is really just about, you know, uh, listening, assessing, assessing, making small win, getting small wins, um, you know, actually end up having to change comp back to, to something more reasonable. Um, you know, people are excited about, right. And so, uh, you know, definitely change agent, kind of a, a little bit of that mentor for the CEO, um, helping create more consistency, guiding her, uh, and then we end up with a CFO six months after I joined that is just like the perfect complement to, you know, the CEO and me and uh, just a wonderful, wonderful team. So amazing, yeah, lots of change for sure. How many employees were at Smart City when you joined them? So uh, I got to make distinctions here. Just agents are 1099 contractors and then uh, employees. I think we had about 60 when I joined uh, actual employees. We're at about 103, 104 now. Um, and we had about 60 agents as well. And we have 423 agents. So like, uh, significant growth on the headcount overall. Yeah. So like from about 120 total to about 520 total, that's pretty solid growth in, in, you know, 18, 18 months. Were you at, when did you join WeWork? How, how many years were you at WeWork? Uh, so I was at WeWork, um, for three years. So you were pretty, you were pretty early in there at WeWork as well. Yeah. Relatively early, especially, um, yeah, based on the region I was in too, I was really early. You know, there's just a few locations. Um, ultimately, got to hire just about everybody in my regions. But yeah, I mean, it, was, it felt like a startup within a startup at WeWork multiple times for me. Like that was kind of like every nine months, it felt like I was starting up a new business at WeWork um, with a new region. My um, a former client that I used to coach, I coached uh, Marcelo Claret when he was the CEO of Sprint. And then also I coached his second in command, Jamie Jones, for 18 months. So Marcelo came in to to WeWork at a pretty strange time. Did you have any 
insights as to some of the changes he was making or trying to make, or were you exiting at that point? I mean, I left shortly after kind of um, the the failed attempt at IPO, which is exactly when he, he kind yeah. of came. And look, I think the path forward was very evident, right? Like people, it's it's not like this is rocket science in so many ways. Like very simple. That doesn't mean it's easy, right? And um, and so, from my perspective, I think they did a lot of great things of mm-hmm. being super transparent, um, understanding like, hey, we have to make cuts. We have to be incredibly efficient. In different places. Um, this will impact you know, how, uh, you know, things that are negotiable versus things that aren't. And so like, how do we preserve the client experience and like incredible feeling of community at WeWork? And then, um, but also, you know, your ratio of people to building is now half of what it used to be. Right. Um, and so I think that is really meaningful and, you know, they weren't shy about saying like, we're a real estate company, we're not a tech company. And, and so there, I mean, there's lots of opportunities to get better there. And I think they just went after them versus, you know, some of us who had been there longer, it felt like much more difficult to make that change locally mm. and initiate change in a way that like, you know, need, was needed. So when you were at WeWork, it's pretty hard to go through that kind of growth. I mean, they were on a pretty um, exponential growth plan and growth curve for a long time. Like opening up as you went from two, two locations to 50 locations that you were overseeing. What did you learn in that in for yourself? What kind of lessons did you pull that you still carry with you today? Yeah. I mean, I learned a lot. So, uh, I mean, one of them is, you know, I thought the, the biggest challenges of, of growth would be a little bit different than they actually were. But if I were to take one like statement, um, that I learned about around that is like, there's no greater risk to the business than outgrowing your culture, you know? And so like, you can think about getting things wrong on timelines and opening dates and like, um, everything else, but, there's no way for me as the leader of that region to be everywhere that I needed to be. And so how, who's the steward of the culture then who is creating that. And that's created by every single person and everything that they do and the actions we take every day. And so uh, I got to see that, you know, through multiple markets, um, you know, wherever I went, like there's always like small tweaks on the culture and and small differences, but at the end of the day, like people really, really cared about each other. They Mm -hmm. really, really believed in the mission of, you know, helping people find, um, and create a world or make a life, not just a living, sorry, mixing up uh, missions yep. here. <laughs> uh, and like, we got to do so many things that we were passionate about, for instance, like I'm a veteran. And so I got to be part of an initiative with veterans and residents and bunker labs. And we made, um, we made a huge, like very proud statement of we're going to hire um, what a thousand veterans in the next two years. Uh, and, and we're going to help people start their own businesses who are veterans or military spouses and I got to go launch that from the first location in Denver to, you know, uh, I was the second location in Austin. And then we put it in like 25 different cities. And, oh. and I got to just see veteran businesses all over the country and help push that and create like one of the biggest alliances and accelerators kind of in the country for veterans, uh, which was really amazing. So uh, I think that's hard. And then the other piece is like, I mean, it just happens fast. So like what, like helping people understand what their world is and what their impact on it is. And so you, know, you read books that say like, hey, just worry about what you can control. Well, that's that's like somewhat helpful. Like, what does that really mean? And uh, there's different levels of control. So I, I kind of expanded on that. And my thing was, we used to do this exercise. It was called you, me, we. And so between you and your teammate, or you and a cross-functional leader or a different department, like, what do you do? What do I do? And what do we have to do together? And like an example of that with my boss was like, 
uh, director and below, or excuse me, manager and below, I could hire no question as fast as I wanted to. Director, uh, we had to talk about and work together. And then VP is up to him, right? But if he wanted to call me in and ask for like advice or thoughts, then he could bring me in. And so, you know, I, I love that construct, but like the other piece of the construct was what can I control in this role? What can I influence in this role? And then what should I just be informed in this role? Because people wanted mm. to own everything. Like we hired yeah. extreme. So like, it's my building, my sale, like everything. And, and you're like, no, actually that's not the case. You should be informed on sales and who's going to um, occupy your building. And you should be influencing where you can on that because customer experience really matters. Um, and the things you can control is really like, uh, you know, who's here, who, what's their attitude look like? How do we empower them? Um, you know, how do we, you know, educate and inform. And so I really like that idea of like doing those exercises with your team of knowing like, what's my role, your role and our role. And then also like, what do I actually control in this situation? What do I influence and what do I stay informed on? Do you think your experience at, with, you know, the military and with your MBA and with, um, with WeWork, do they layer onto each other or was one more valuable than the other? It's a good question. Um, I, they certainly layer like the nuances that you kind of add. Uh, I feel like I got such a crash course in leadership with the military quickly. Mm. Um, and like, it's, it's, it makes so many things easy these days. And what I mean by that is I don't think people realize the level of um, leadership required in the military sometimes of like, when you lead a person, like you're responsible for everything. And uh, like the number of times I was up at 3 a.m. picking someone up from jail because they hit their spouse or their dog and they get arrested, like that's my fault. Uh, and I'm the one uh, having to hold them accountable, pick them up from jail, you know, make sure that they get to be hopefully a better human being after that. And then I'm getting my ass chewed out by like, you know, some general or colonel or whoever, because, you know, like me and my team failed. Uh, or if you go off to training for two weeks and they didn't leave uh, a debit card for their wife for food, for groceries, like that's absolutely my fault. And so you come into like the civilian world and they're like, oh, you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. That's like, that's, that's not part of the job. You know, it, it makes, it gives you a lot of perspective on how easy it can be. That's a huge lesson, actually. I've never even heard that before. And I've talked to a lot of people with some military background. That's, that's a really kind of important lesson, I think, that you take huge ownership of your entire team, that everything that goes wrong is your responsibility. And I think there's a lot of humility that comes in that as well. Yeah. I mean, you want to, you want to go ahead and get like, yeah, some humble pie. That's a great way to, you know, pull your butt out of bed at 3am for someone else that, you know, essentially you feel like you failed. Do you bring that culture into your role now as a COO? Do you try to, to kind of carry that over as, as a, maybe a core value of the organization or is it anything, is that kind of like the way that Nathan operates? Do people see that in you and, and do they live up to that for you as well? It's a good question. Um, I don't know. I take a lot of pride. Like one of my personal values, like operate without ego. And, uh, and I think, you know, I, I think I take that everywhere I go because at the end of the day, you know, I, all I care about is getting better tomorrow. I don't care where it comes from or how we do it. Uh, as long as we do it ethically, but the, I think that's absolutely a piece. And, and sometimes it's, I don't know, it is interesting. Uh, we just did, we just did this great like event. Um, we did a go rock event for the 20th anniversary of nine 11. And one of the other leaders in the company, uh, he suggested it. I agreed to it without really knowing what it was. And then I sent something out to the company saying like, Hey, we're gonna do this event. Uh, we'd love if you would like to join, if you can't afford it, like other people will sponsor, they've already volunteered. 
And so we end up with 11 people out there and we're thinking we're going to go do this 12 hour like ruck march and <laughs> ruck march is being a backpack with like heavily laden, right? At least 30 pounds. Cause I'm a bigger guy. Plus your gear you're supposed to have I'm like 12, 12 hours. Okay. Like rucking. That's not a big deal. 30 pounds. I'll be fine. And then the other piece of it is you're supposed to have uh, like as a team, an American flag and then a 25 pound weight. And that's like a team weight that you pass around whatever. So like, that's, that's what I'm walking in thinking is uh, what it actually is, is uh, um, much more than that. And you know, what they did is they, they smoked us with our like 50 pound packs on for like the first three hours, which just means like constant sit-ups, push-ups, squats, like bear crawls up uh, upstairs, wow. um, crab walks down the stairs. And just like, I don't know if I've been that miserable in a long time. And, uh, and so everyone's looking at me like, what the hell did you sign us up for here? I'm like, yeah, I, I probably should have done a little more research on what this was. Um, but I got, I got to tell you, like once we started walking and, and going through this, um, I mean, what an unbelievable experience to bring people together. There's just like nothing that brings people together better than hard doing hard things together. Um, so every one of our 11 people made it all 12 hours. Wow. And I talked about that 25 pound team weight, right? Well, we ended up with like 50 of those freaking weights and they started off about 30 pounds and they went up to 120 pounds. So going in thinking I'm going to carry 50 pounds all night, I end up carrying on average between hundred and 110. Cause I had like a 60 pound sandbag on my shoulders all night Cheap. too. I've never had so many muscles cramp at the same time in my life. Right. And, um, and we're evenly split like six, six guys, six gal or five gals. Um, and everyone finished like every single one of That's them. Amazing. I couldn't tell you if I've been more proud since I've been at this company. Um, but sometimes I do worry about like, I don't want to be too, you know, a domineering like my culture and, and like the things I want to bring to the company. Like I want that to just be, I want to be an example. So others yeah. can you know, shine, shine just as bright regardless of your title. Cause I'm really, I feel like I'm really sensitive. Like I don't care about titles and the impact on culture that way. Like that's not how it works for me. And, um, and so I'm probably a little more reserved than I, than I should be on, you know, bringing some of those values, especially like the military and, and the, uh, that ego stuff. But I, I try and show it every day. Yeah. I think you probably live them maybe more than, than require others to, to live up to them, which is still pretty cool. So how about from the MBA that you did? I mean, University of Texas, you did your MBA. What did you pull from that into your role now as a COO? Yeah. Okay. So when I actually did it, I was like, this is um, my, my employer was willing to pay for it. And I was like, okay, safety net. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get an awesome network. Let me just get to the best school I possibly could. So I got into UT. Um, thank you, UT. Probably shouldn't have admitted me. I did not have the scores to get in, but thank you anyways. Uh, and the, you know, I went through. And I'm like, all right, like I love learning, and I really enjoyed it. And I, I walked away thinking maybe I didn't learn as much as I did when I got to WeWork. Though I was, I just walked into meetings and challenges feeling so informed in a way that I, I, I was surprised by if, if, if I'm really honest. And I would, I would absolutely attribute that to the MBA, you know, so like working through hard case studies, working through challenges with my peers and our groups um, and just like absorbing way more than I thought. Uh, I found it to be incredibly valuable, especially for WeWork. Like, I mean, my first week at WeWork was I jumped in, I was head of operations. So I was like the number two person for the region, right? So again, kind of like this uh, COO type role. And they're like, hey, uh, we gave 30 day notice to all our cleaners saying we are firing them and we're 21 days into that notice. <laughs> and I need you to have that across, you know, like five different cities. I need you to negotiate a new contract, have it ready and have it in place by 
uh, in nine days. And I'm like, okay, well, do you know how much it costs right now? Like, what's the cost per square? Like just asking simple questions and starting to work through it. And nobody had any idea. So I ended up building like the whole kind of foundation of like, here's the financial model of what we need to be at. Here's where we are at. Here's what it looks like. This is the ratio of cleaners to square foot. And this is how many per hour, like all this stuff. And we end up using that as a model for like across, you know, many, many cities. Um, and there's no way I could have done that without the NBA. Yeah, no shit. That, yeah, you brought in some real solid skill set into that. All right. Joining Smart City January of 2020. And then you're in like your second month and and COVID hits. And and now you're what do you what's going through your mind? Because were you location based? Were you guys all in the same office at that point? Uh, I mean, we were across multiple cities still at that point. So you were, all, you were all going into an office, right? Oh, correct. Absolutely. So going in an office every day. Um it's actually really funny because we are my first month I did uh, first 30 days. I did 99 one-on-ones. So I had 27 pages of notes from all the one-on-ones listening, trying to figure out like, Hey, what are the pain points? And, uh, and like just really going to the root of everything and trying to figure out small wins. And so like one of those ones is like, Hey, we want more flexibility, transparency, communication benefits. Like those are like the, the heavy hitters. And so we were really excited about like some of the plans we we're putting together. One of those is like, work from home Fridays and like a little more flexibility during the week with like flex PTO. And so we literally announced that like work from home Friday, I think the week before pandemic really, really hit. I was like, it's amazing. Big win. Yes. And then like totally (laughs) fell flat on our face. We were home the next year, you know? Um, And so that was, that one cracks me up. Like just, you know, uh, a little irony there, but uh, the, I mean, the best part of it was, um, watching our team adapt to a remote lifestyle uh, was pretty cool because our agents, they, they tour most of um, their clients. Like they try and tour at the apartments as much as possible. So you can imagine it's much harder to close or help people find apartments when they don't actually see it. You might as well just go online and look all by yourself. And, and that's pretty overwhelming too. And so uh, the adjustments that they made of like, uh, you know, video tours or like FaceTime tours or, um, or like there's very specific appointment slots. Like we, I think, I feel like we reacted faster than anybody. And so we had probably about five weeks where we struggled. Um, we we're struggling and we were really worried. And we actually went into a, um, we actually went to a rework into like a war room as a leadership team saying like going in there thinking like, Hey, we're probably going to have to make layoffs. Like this is, this is not going to be good for us. And, uh, and it was, it was really, it was a pivotal piece or time for me, like coming in, I hadn't learned enough to really be leading in the way I'd like to, um, or helping with at, like big decisions. Yep. And, uh, so we're going in with a mentality, like we're probably going to cut people, lay off, like we got to make hard decisions fast. And, and I remember our CEO like jumps up on the table and she's like, guys, I have a crazy idea. Um, and it's funny cause I came in, like, I'm trying to come in prepared. I've got the agenda. Like, this is the stuff we're going to work through. And, you know, seven minutes in, like she's blowing the whole thing up and she says, Hey, what if we, instead of laying anyone off, we write our own story and expand to three new cities in the next 90 days. Um, basically expanding our, you know, uh, de-risking our, our revenue sources and, and growing during a pandemic. Do we think we could do it? And this way we don't have to lay anybody off. Uh, we're investing in the future. And I mean, like you'd probably believe we all rallied around that. We made oh. it happen. And, uh, and we launched 
San Antonio, Denver, and um, and Fort Worth, uh, you know, as our markets, and then identified Nashville, Atlanta, and Orlando, you know, soon after to go, and then we ended up launching those, you know, not not too far after that. So, uh, yeah, that pretty. pretty- that was a pretty huge strategic move to, to choose to grow during a pandemic versus cut back. It's uh, it was scary as hell. Um, but yeah, it was, that's, that's the, I think that's the, like the vibe of our company and who our CEO is like, she's not going down without a fight. And then, and then when she's down, you got to fight her some more. Cause she's still not done. When, when you were um, starting and you, you kind of you're in your first 90 days as the COO coming into the organization, what was it that got you to sit down and say, I'm going to do 99 one-on-one meetings with, with people on the team. That's highly unusual and awesome at the same time. For me, I just, I don't want to ever come in and assume I know what's going on, you know? And so like, how am I going to learn better than the people that have been doing it? And like, what other impact am I really going to make in the first, you know, 60 days, 30 days that is so monumental than, building trust. And at the end of the day, like that's the the best thing I could be doing. And, and it's, it's uh, one of the best places to start building trust is just listening, like shut up and listen, ask good questions, um, be, I think authentic in that pursuit and then actually do something about it because uh, I've been many places where they do employee surveys or they come and listen and they don't do shit after yeah. and, yeah. and like power is in the follow through. And that's where you really earn trust. And so I was hell bent on listening first, building the plan and then giving good wins uh, or small wins, at least to, to show like, Hey, not only did I listen, but we're doing something about this. Was there any um, distrust of you coming in or any pushback from the current team where it were people at all, you know, like who, who's this new guy coming in on top of us? Hell yeah. Uh, okay. So first and foremost, I mentioned there was, a, there was like a compensation change before I joined. Uh, and if you were to like, if you were paint a picture of that, if I think the way they put it to me was it felt like our CEO reached into their pockets to pay some big wig to come in and tell us to do our job, even though we already know how to do it. Right. And that's, I think that's the sentiment I, I joined with. Um, and I think that was a little surprising to me. You know, uh, I did know about the compensation change and, and I think there was opportunities to definitely do that better, but there was opportunities to not do that in the first place. And, and I think that was probably the biggest lesson. Uh, you know, Cassie, our CEO, she's, she's like, Hey, if I was the board, I would have fired me after that. And, and I agree with her, like I would have fired her too. And so how do we avoid, you know, mistakes like that in the future? But um, even, even like our senior ops person, you know, like I think we, it took a little bit of time for us to, re, you know, for him to realize that number one, like, I just want the best for you. How do I help you get to whatever you want, whether it's here or somewhere else, and, uh, and like, that takes time. It took a lot of tough conversations with, mm. with that, like that, that person to figure out like, Hey, you're actually not in the right, you're not in the right spot right now. You know, how do we find what you're really good at? Cause the, the person is like amazing when it comes to operations or starting things up. He's, he is a, uh, he's a startup guy, right? You say like, Hey, go do this. Here's the idea. Give him enough resources to, to run with. And that guy will run. Right. And so he was doing everything. He was literally the glue that kept finance and people team and HR and, and sales and, uh, and customer experience and everything. Like he was just doing everything. So he wasn't doing anything. And, and so uh, we, it, it's really wonderful to see him 
like blossom even further and make the impact that he really wanted to along the way. And for us to build that, um, that relationship, cause he's go, go, go. And I'll tell you, like, that's one of my favorite things. I was trying to just ask him how life was one time. <laughs> and he just was like, I don't want to talk about that. I just want to talk about work. I'm like, Hey man, like this is, this is how it's going to go. Like I get all of you, not just the work version. So, um, and uh, one of my favorite things as we were talking about this, like my favorite story of him probably is we're, we're talking through, I'm like, Hey man, anywhere I go, I figure out what the norm is. And if the norm is working 40 hours or 50 hours or whatever, uh, my goal is always to make a bigger impact in that time uh, or less time than anybody else. And, and before I even finished that statement, he cut me off. He's like, no, I'll work more hours. And I'm like, see, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking to make it more efficient. And uh, be more yeah. It's so few people get that. It's not about working harder, right? It's not like the fly is going to keep banging its head on the window until it ends up dead on the windowsill. It is about being more efficient. So I love the whole, like, I get all of you component to it as well. So how do you make sure that you build that connection with your team on, on the personal side? What kind of things do you do? Yeah, I like there's things I could do way better on this. Um, but I, I read this. I got I to gotta find where the source of the study is. I think it came from Harvard or it was something reputable, almost positive. But uh, it said something like the more inside jokes a team has, the higher level of trust there is. And, um, and I kind of love that, right? Like that means that you're sharing more of yourself. And so, uh, I mean, it's simple things. Like I'm always quick to crack a joke. Um, literally they actually have me every all company meeting or every major meeting, they literally make me kick it off with a dad joke, you know? And so it's like something as simple as that, just to show like, I think in the military, especially you learn to laugh in like even the hardest of times and that's, mm. you know, mechanism, but, uh, things like that, or, um, you know, like I always just try and uh, I always start our one-on-ones off on just personal note, like, Hey, how's it going? Um, one person was, you know, has been training for a marathon, you know, another one, like multiple new parents, you know, in our organization, you know, so just sharing and, and like genuinely curious and remembering spouses names or kids names and, and like asking about those things. Um, th- those, I mean, it's all really simple things, but like, as long as they know you care, then that's, that's the key. The, the key is that you actually give a shit. Whereas I, I remember I had a, a boss that I reported to back in the early nineties. And I, I went into our one-on-one session one day and he's like, how's your weekend? I'm like, you don't actually give a fuck. Like, why don't we just jump to the numbers? Cause every time I start talking about what's going on, your kind of eyes glaze over waiting to talk about the metrics. So let's just talk about the metrics. Cause you don't really give a shit. And he, and he was like, fuck, you're right. Like I, I, <laughs> So I think that's probably something key that you bring into the role. How did you get to know the CEO? You didn't know her prior to joining the company, did you? I didn't know. I mean, just, she had a headhunter or recruiter out, you know, searching for people. And, um, you know, from her story, she talked to a whole lot of people. Uh, The story is actually a little funny. Um, This is how it's shared with me. So I don't know if it's totally accurate or not, but uh, so like my, my head of operations when I was at WeWork, actually came over and interviewed here mm. uh, for the same role. And, um, you know, and, and like, we we're pretty open, uh, you know, like I, I truly believe in building trust. And so like, I always want to be the first person to know, like, Hey, like if, it, if it's an opportunity for you to grow somewhere else and, then you know, let me help you. If I can keep you, then, you know, obviously that that's great too. But um, so we, I had taken him out to breakfast and we were just talking and, uh, and like, I'd share like, Hey, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm potentially looking as well after he had shared he was, and he talked about this company. I'm like, man, that's, that company sounds really similar to um, a company that had reached out to me. And it turns out, uh, according to the story, 
is um, he interviewed and it went really well. And he, he'd actually shared some stories about me. And so in turn, they reached out to me after he had shared stories about me. And then, you know, I ended up getting the role. And so Cassie still loves him. He's, you know, he's, he's an amazing, um, just like ops leader and leader in general, just a great human. And so, you know, again, like just shows like we're out to breakfast, having that personal connection um, enough so that he was sharing opportunities that he was working through at the time. It's really and, cool. So how did you get to build the, the trust and the relationship with Cassie then? What did you think you two did in your first 90 days to, to kind of get that into gear? Yeah. So Cassie's need, someone that needs like a little bit of a, a <laughs> like a firm hand. Um, she's your classic startup founder, CEO, you know, like she wants to move fast. She goes off gut reaction. Um, she wants to try things yesterday. Everything's yeah. too slow. Fire and, ready aim. Uh, yeah, exactly. And so look, I love moving fast too. And I love trying things and I love breaking stuff, but you know, I've also learned to be the chameleon. And so regardless of what my natural voice is, and a lot of these, these things, I, I easily fall into what's needed versus just who I need to be. Um, and so a lot of it's like, Hey, Cassie, that's actually a dumb idea. We, we should not do that. Here's the five reasons why. And you can't, you can't beat around the bush with her. And she's like, damn, you're right. You're right. You're right. Okay. Uh, okay. How else do we do it? Right. I'm like, Oh, I actually sparked a great idea over here that we could talk to. And then she'll tell me that's dumb and then we'll move on. But like at the end of the day, she always took the time to, um, I think we both took the time to like actually know who we were as people first um, mm. and don't trust off of that. So she just had her first kid right when I joined and I have four kids and, um, and, you know, I think we really bonded over that. I don't know if, if we would have done so well two or three years ago before she had kids. Um, huh. I think we would have clashed there just because I'm really big on like work-life rhythm. And, um, and right. so like the biggest thing negotiated on uh, was not compensation or vacation or anything. It's like, Hey, Cassie, I'm just going to be really clear with you. Um, the, the, uh, if you have something that is needed or urgent, you should never question whether I'm going to do that for you. And when you can call me and take care of it, but if it's something you want, or just something that's like nice to have, like, I'm going to see you on Monday. Like I'm not doing it on the weekend. Uh, there's no need to like, I'm setting the example, not only for myself and me and my family, but like every other employee that's at this company. And so how do we get them all excited to do more in 40 hours or 45, whatever the number is than anywhere else, because we actually respect the time for them to recharge and, and go off and have lives outside of here. And, um, and there's, so there's many times like it took, I, so I told her that and that, like, I know that really stuck with her and, you know, a few months after I'd worked through the weekend. We were working through all kinds of really tough stuff and she had no idea. And she found out later and she's like, man, I, I just, it's great knowing that I don't have to worry about that. And she's like, I know it's one thing to say, but it's just, it's so gratifying to see um, just to like reinforce that, that idea. So I think those things, and then just having small wins. So like winning that person, that ops leader that wasn't a big fan of me, you know, like building yep. trust and seeing come around like those are things that mattered a lot to her because that's her team like that team took her so far and built everything basically from scratch it's amazing what they did and but, um and yeah coming in is no uh that doesn't mean you're worth any less or you just have um we're just growing as a company i think you're right about the um the fact that when she had her first child it all of a sudden gave her the kind of the, the glimpse into the window you already had. I remember when we were building 1-800-GOT-JUNK, I was the first executive to have a child on the leadership team. 
And then over the next three years, all six members ended up having kids and it changed everything where they realized, oh, we can't do 7 a.m. breakfast three days a week. Oh, we can't go for beers three nights a week. Oh, we can't just like, you know, go away on weekends and, and brainstorm together. And and it actually made us a stronger team as well, because that, that work like rhythm, as you called it, became real. And, and that's where our cult, almost the culture kind of emerged out of. But I think you also bring something special to the table where you have that entrepreneurial side to you, which you know, at least lets you understand the entrepreneur because you partially are one wrapped in a COO body. Absolutely. No, I mean, I, I really enjoy it. She's, <laughs> she's unpredictable and fun and just like a pleasure to work with. And she's always willing to have her mind changed, which is, you know, like, I think that just shows a lot about the character of that, of her as when, a human. When you're telling her no, and you know, that's a stupid idea. And here's five reasons why. Will you ever do that in front of the rest of the leadership team or do you do that privately with her or is it a bit of both depending on the situation? It is a bit of both. So like we do, I mean, those were conversations that were happening between them and her before I was even here. So it's not like it would have been new. Um, I'm just a new I was probably just a little more seasoned. So like she, she'll take a little bit more of my comments at face value. Same thing with our CFO. Whereas if the same person on like our head of sales or, um, or head of people team or, or marketing or whatever, like they might have a little more of a battle working through her, mm. um, trying to say no and justifying why. Right. But she really wants to be listened to. And the other thing is like, I, <laughs> I don't know where this comes from, but like, I know what to filter out. Yeah. Um, as, our CFO, I'm like, Hey, like, I know you just said something extreme there and I'm just going ahead and like throwing that in the trash and just ignoring it because I'm not doing anything with that. Uh, you got to say it like five times before I know you're serious about something, um, that drastic. And that might be like, Oh, we're not going to do, you know, we're not going to do this thing. Um, that, you know, like maybe a bonus or something like that. We're not going to do that anymore. Or, or this, this population isn't going to get that. And so you have to, um, you know, people internalize that very quickly, and so like, I'll go back and coach her and, and we'll have conversations together on that. Like, Hey, here's why you don't do that. One of the big ones was she used to say I and my like way too much, like my company, my money, mm. like, um, you know, she's the sole owner of this company, which, you know, is a wonderful story, but people saw her as the company too. And so, um, I was like, Hey, yeah, talk, we have to talk. And like, this is, this yeah, is our company. Yeah. Our company. We're all contributing to this because, um, yeah, people people are pegging everything on her versus like, hey, this is the challenge of being a business owner and a business leader and, and all those things. And so um it's been wonderful seeing her how willing she's she is to take feedback and open up. And she's willing to admit she's wrong in front of anybody. But if she's like right, she's gonna tell you too. <laughs> I like it. All right. I want to go back to the Nathan Lenahan who's graduating from BYU, you know, getting ready to start off in his career. What advice would you give yourself back then that you know to be true today, but you wish you'd known at a younger age? Okay. I actually have like a really quick story that I feel like I learned right then um, that it's basically, you can't let life happen to you. You have to take control of it. And, um, and I just remember I just got out of the army the way my career college career worked is like 9-11 hit. That was my first semester of college. I took off for the army, came back six years later and I'm trying to finish. And I'm like, I'm kind of like the, the gritty, older, little weird veteran in class. Right. And I freaking hate life. Like I'm struggling to transition. Best job I could get is $11 an hour. I have a family of at five at this time. And 
I am just having like the biggest Nathan pity party you can have. And um, I'm struggling with, with, with having no purpose and or community or anything like no friends. And I remember walking across campus and I'm like literally hating life. And I was like, you know what? Like nobody cares. Nobody cares about your freaking little pity party here um, except for you. And you're the only one that can fix it. So how do you fix it? So like literally mid-step, wow. I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to go fix this. Uh, I'm pretty sure I skipped class. So like, don't recommend that necessarily, but, um, and the way I was going to fix that, I decided was I was going to go walk onto BYU's, you know, top 25 ranked football team and, uh, and find a place to like have friends and be, you know, community despite the fact that I've never actually played football anywhere besides like flag football. So, uh, so I get over there. I actually talked my way in, uh, managed to get into uh, coach Tidwell's office. He was a recruiting coordinator at the time, incredible human being. And, um, and we realized it's a running clock. I have no eligibility. So that's the, that's the real reason I couldn't play division one football. I had nothing to do with my lack of talent or anything like that. But um, all I remember is just like, it wasn't the question. It was the follow-up questions that mattered. And I was like, look, I just want to be part of something. I need this. Um, I'm really struggling. <laughs> and I feel like part of a team, like I'll volunteer, I'll give my time, like, just let me be part of this. And he said, well, um, I can't do anything on the team, but there is, there are student student manager jobs with the equipment team that you could do. And they, they like run the sidelines for games. They travel with the team. They set up the locker rooms and they run all the practices. I'm like, awesome. sign me up. Let's go. So he literally takes me down there and I interview on the spot with the director of equipment and uh, his son happens to be in Afghanistan as a U S Marine. We hit it off. His only hesitation is like I'm a military guy. Am I going to talk back to the coaches or the players or anything like that? I'm like, I mean, they're pretty rough on you in the military. I'm pretty sure I can, I can hold my lips. Um, but I got the job, man. And it was the, it was the best, turning point of my life of taking a deliberate action and getting the results. And I got, I got the job. I got the friends that you always Amazing. hear about from college. Uh, turns out it was a full scholarship. So I got a full ride to school um, stipends. <laughs> I still got swag in my, um, my, uh, my closet from there. And my buddy's like the director of football operations up there now. It's so like when I was in Utah, I got to go see a practice. And see, yeah, it was just amazing. And so one decision of taking control instead of letting life happen to you and that transformed me. And I think, you know, I've, I've been trying to live that ever since. That's amazing. I love the story that kind of backs up the, um, the thought behind it as well. Nathan Lenahan, the COO for Smart City. Thanks so much for sharing with us today on the Second Command podcast. Yeah, my pleasure. Really appreciate the time. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.